Community Radio. This is Aurea. I'm excited about today's podcast. It's a very special one to me. Ten years ago, I went on a conscious journey where I literally ran away from everything and started on a journey of self-exploration, going cross-country one way in order to find myself, discover who I am. And with this dream that once I do, I'll actually find a job, I'll actually find purpose, meaning. You you guys know the drill. So it was 10 years ago exactly where I got into the car and left. So this show, I wanted to actually spend, and this is a warning, this is, you know, in the first 30 seconds, you may as well know that this show I intend to tell my story and share some of the lessons and reminders along the way many times I'm being asked for my background and the work that I do and I usually you know I stay away from these sort of questions because it's all about what I am doing now and who I am but to celebrate the 10-year anniversary and to just use this opportunity to actually you know, I let you know as well that we all have a story. We really do. And the story is being told by who you are and what you are, and not specifically with the words you say. However, sometimes it's nice to know, it's nice to do a cosmic check-in with yourself, with the world, and say, hey, this is what I've been up to. This is my story. This is my background. And this is who I am today. So, and doing a little bit of preparation for this show, I decided to just start all the way at the beginning and not go to 10 years ago and just see what the theme is. Because ultimately the theme, the theme of today, today's podcast and the theme of our work in general is the journey home. So the journey home for me starts all the way back in Israel. And I'd like to really thank Sam for providing the opportunity, the platform, the network, and the studio, all of it. Because this is show 49, okay? Wow, 49 already. 49, 49. And 49 is a big number. I mean, I I Googled it before coming in here. but (laughs) No, it is. It is. It's it's all about taking stock of everything that you've done so far, uh, 49 days under the Buddha, under the tree, Mm -hmm. and... Virgin Mary was forty nine. There's a whole and bunch Virgin of Virgin Mary too. <laughs> yeah, but it's also it's it's uh, seven squared, um, uh, and and seven you know is I forget. Ju- Julian Michael will kill me. I can't remember the numerological significance, but seven uh, squared it's it's a master number. It it's completion. Um, but well, also, we, we don't want to freak out the yeah, audience. But, yeah, but the thing you said, uh, the, the thing you you said before. Um, about leaving because I think you start your story you may you'll probably touch on it more later but this idea of leaving which is to, to it doesn't matter why to find yourself to to fix your health to change things but that uh, as I remember how you uh, uh, when you once showed the movie interstellar to our group and you talked about sort of the significance of leaving, especially in your own life, that, that this just the theme of leaving is something that's 
reoccurring throughout your life and had a lot of significant impact for you. That's true. So I'm glad we didn't compare notes before this show. But yes, the, <laughs> the first segment is is really dedicated to death because it was, let's just jump into it. It was in 1993 where my mother, I'm 13 years old, and I am, so imagine me as a kid, I'm walking over outside of town, outside this town in Israel, with a small town, and I'm going to a creek, to a river, where I'm going to take a ritualistic um, dip, bath, It's in, in the Jewish... wasn't people. a baptism, right? It's a mikvah. It was <laughs> a, a mikvah. mikvah. Now, mikvah was my original uh, place to commune with myself and with life, and regardless of how religious or not religious I was, I always found a really great way to center myself, come back into the body, and be able to communicate with my deeper, higher self, is ultimately to go outside town, to take long walks, and to mm. dip myself in cold water where you instantly come back into your body. So here I am as a 13-year-old taking a dip and asking life, asking God, whatever version of God I believed in back then, to really help me with this decision because my mother just told me that I have the option to go and live in America. Mm. Now here I am, a 13-year-old. I just grew up with you know, my mother, my stepfather, who I call dad, and four new brothers. And my mother is telling me that I have to make a decision. I don't have to, but it's, it's my option right now to make a decision within the next two weeks. Oh, she to, gave you a lot of time, huh? two weeks. Well, it was the summer, and I was either going to go back to yeshiva, I was going to go back uh, to religious school, or I'm going to take this chance and jump on an airplane one way and go to live with my biological father. Now, my biological father was not religious. He had a completely different lifestyle than the one I grew up with, because I grew up in a religious home, and it was a, although it was my dream, it was always my fantasy to get out of that situation because it felt su suppressive and limited, and I really did not like the religious lifestyle. And I've always idolized and looked over to the other side, as in mm. there's going to be good over there. So when I took the dip, I remember telling my higher self, telling God, hey, I know I'm making this decision because it's going to be so much easier for me. It's better for mm. me. I'm not making this decision knowing it's the right decision. I just want to get out of here. And I remember saying it and going, oh, like, I, I, I know that I just want to get out of here. So I, I hope and I pray that this decision is a good one. Please help me. Please help me make this transition you know, without too much guilt and shame because I couldn't have dealt with that. And I remember that prayer. Mm. And that prayer was, you know, that opportunity that my mother gave me was really on the heels of now over the past year, my father would offer me, now here's my father, he's in America, and he's offering me the opportunity to run away to America. He actually mm. would 
tell me that if when I give him the yes, the green light, the moment I would, he would get somebody to go and kidnap me, <laughs> literally. <laughs> oh wow! Over, you know, the borders or whatever. He told uh, me just just say the word and I'll have somebody come pick you up. And that was a real decision I had to make wow. on my own. And of course, at that time, even though the situation, the school wasn't good. I've just been growing up with my mother, my stepfather, who were not just religious, they were also heroin addicts. Mm. So they were literally religious junkies. And knowing that all along, knowing I could see my mom and my stepfather becoming more and more religious, yet maintaining their heroin addiction. And as a, I remember knowing what they were up to at the age of seven and eight and nine and 10 and 11. So... All these years being at home with four new brothers, mm -hmm. being sent to religious schools, mm -hmm. and experiencing a lot of a lot of abuse, mm -hmm. uh, really a lot of abuse, a lot of mental and emotional and just spiritual abuse from a community who was, you know, it was very, 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 very rough. I always knew that there is more freedom possible on the outside. And yet my experience having to go to these schools, having to study Torah and the Bible and having to be really, really good at it in order to have some sort of sense of respect or belonging from the teachers. So it was a very, very competitive environment where yeah. you could really do wrong. You could really not, uh. you had to be really good at religion studies. And yet at home, things were a mess. Mm. And so whether my father was offering to kidnap me or the years before even going to that school, I just spent the past three, four years having my mother suffering through a really, really bad car accident. So just going to the hospital, visiting her, smuggling heroin into the hospital and watching... Oh, into the hospital? Into the hospital, Jeez. yeah. And as a kid, it felt kind of... You know, I, I knew what I was getting into, but then I was a kid. So I, yeah. I, I really rationalized the whole thing. But I knew, I knew this is a messed up situation. Smuggling heroin to the hospital, seeing the destruction and damage that the heroin was doing to my parents while they maintained this religious outlook and life. Not to mention the uh, literally sexual abuse that... I went through in some of the schools, which was very common and accepted. So wow. all of that, to have had this decision to be made and say, hey, do you want to go to America? Of course I said yes. To your father who left right. when you were two years old. That's right. So again, it's your leaving to go back to somebody who left when you were a child. Right. And I guess for me, I can clearly remember now that's, you know, the the real reflecting on it that like you said in the beginning of this show leaving is mm -hmm. part of coming back home mm -hmm. how important it was for me to leave without knowing why but just taking on the offer taking on the opportunity and just getting on this journey knowing that this is my next step my next step is going and leaving and trusting the unknown not not having any sense of clue what was about to happen but trusting that moment trusting that place when i was dipping in the mikvah was dipping in the in the waters and just mm -hmm. praying and saying 
I know that I'm making this decision. I don't know why. Help me. Guide me. This music was the music of my childhood. I'm playing at this podcast for a reason. This music r- brings me to a place of just feeling at home, even though back then home didn't I did not want to be in that environment. And yet now, thirty five years old, listening to this still brings me a place where I can remember and I can feel I can hear my own voices all the way through all these years. My own prayers, my own conversations with myself, my own reflections. So here I am, 13 years old, getting on an airplane with my prayer shawl and just a few personal items and coming to America after just spent the past literally 13 years raising my young four younger brothers in a home that my mother was not Uh, in the capacity to really raise my brothers. How much, you, how much younger were they than you? Uh, f- f- four and more. Like the youngest one was four years younger four than years me. Four years younger than you. So it's like, like one year younger, you, two year younger, yeah. you, three year younger, you, yeah. four years younger. So, growing, so really... So you were pretty close. So by the time I was nine, when my mother had a car accident, between the car accident, my stepfather's heroin addiction, and my mother's heroin addiction, I knew that there was no one taking care of business, yeah, so yeah. I took care of everyone and everything all the time i wow. I, I felt trapped I really really felt trapped yeah, yeah i didn't and at the same time I would see I would go visit my father once in a while in America I would see mm-hmm. pictures I would know there's a whole other life right, right, you right. know I would watch uh, Beverly Hills nine two one on TV quietly and imagine <laughs> that that's the real life <laughs> did i I just can't imagine did did you feel guilty leaving your brothers behind? And not, and not no, no, that was part of my prayer, honestly, to not feel guilty, wow, great, because I knew that I was leaving them behind, I knew it, but i I just didn't think about it because uh, I was facing a whole new I didn't even know the language wow, I didn't know a b yeah. I didn't know a the abcs I, i i didn't I didn't speak a word of English, mm-hmm. so so that must have been kind of scary for you it was very scary it was. Not only I didn't speak a word of English, I also didn't study any secular education ever i uh-huh. there was no secular education, and the little bit that there was, I actually mm-hmm. skipped school. <laughs> no, I did I really did. I wandered the streets for most of my life because I really didn't I felt very alone and anxious throughout because I knew what I have to go back home to, even at mm-hmm. school, I knew that I wasn't like the rest of the kids yeah, yeah. I, I there was no I didn't even feel like imagine we were poor. junkies and not originally religious like people who became religious uh-huh. and we kept moving around so the and then we didn't have any real religious friends like they were all other junkies uh-huh. so it was just this sense of being so alone being so alienated and right. and ha- having it it was the worst just, like there was it wasn't like it was my mother actually one time gave a good description mm-hmm. she said it was for her it was the third 
third class citizens or third like like way yeah, beyond because it's the, like the even in a closed society which this was a relatively closed society even in a closed society you guys were the outsiders that's right that's right and yeah. so religion kabbalah my stepfather was studying kabbalah and mysticism he was yeah. writing the protection documents that are in the jewish doors the mezuzahs he used oh, to really? write that in order to support oh. his heroin addiction gotcha. i used to hang out with him while he was doing heroin and writing really? mezuzahs oh, wow. and you know going out to visit my mom in the hospital and delivering her heroin so so then you come to the united states and you don't even know the religion so you're even you're still an outsider right it's so a, now, no matter what you do you're an outsider so now i wake up and a yeshiva in Muncie, New York, because uh-huh. integration was really the next uh, um, journey of okay. in my life because I had to integrate into a new society. Right. So I had to go to a regular Jewish school because I didn't know any other language. So I went to yeshiva boarding school in Muncie. And really I was kind of left alone there for the most of the year because they were... They, the Jewish teachers didn't want, didn't care that I didn't know English. They just mm-hmm. were very happy about. I, I was, there was a name to what I, I was. I was very, I was very scholarly. I was very, very, oh. very learned. Okay. I got into the top schools in Israel oh. uh, because I knew how to study and explain and you know make up my own stuff. Like I, right. I, I so was, you like took took the studying part really seriously it wasn't just like well i have to do this because they're telling me to you kind of like i i enjoyed i enjoyed studying and and having study partners i enjoyed Mm. uh, figuring things out i enjoyed remembering things by heart Mm. i i thought it was all stupid Mm. like i didn't believe that god is going to strike me down or i have to do anything i used to go up to my teachers and say why are we studying other people's stuff why can't we make up our own (laughs) stuff but for as long that I was there, I was always very sharp and quick, mm-hmm. and I would get things, okay. and then I would have joy and pleasure to from. I would actually really enjoy being good. So coming to America, my first two years I still spent. My first year was in Muncie, and oh, I was okay. I was, I had the pride of being really good at religious studies, but there, I didn't know the language. So right. the teachers wouldn't. I remember the Jewish teachers, the religious teachers rather would tell me, don't worry, I would say, I would go back to my uh, headmaster or whatever it's called, the school principal, and I would yeah. say, listen, it's been six months, I'm not I'm not learning any English. And he would say, do you understand my uh, spiel on Friday? You know, the little sermon? <laughs> oh, yeah. I said, yeah. He's like, all right, that's all that matters. And I was like, yeah, because you speak in Yiddish. I also, you know, I understood yeah. Yiddish. So, uh. Uh, and then, so again, I would, honestly, and then I would cut school in the later half because, the non the non religious teachers, the secular teachers, they didn't believe me. They didn't believe that I don't know what a cell is, or I don't know English, oh, I don't know the AB. They didn't believe really? me. So, yeah, because it was just so strange to them that I wouldn't know uh, a single they thing. Never met anyone probably who, who and I didn't speak the language, so nobody right. really talked to me. So I spent the right. year there, and then I ended up in another school in Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta, where Georgia, yeah. See, leaving. down there? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Yeshiva Atlanta. Wow. I went to school called Yeshiva Atlanta, and here I am leaving again. Leaving again. Uh, finding myself in Atlanta, and this was the first co-ed school, and oh. this is the first time I, you know, I, I met other Jewish kids who 
basically there was a lot, that was the year of integration for me i learned the language because uh, there was no israelis there so i didn't uh, speak any hebrew i didn't speak okay. to my father okay. i was just there and it wasn't really a boarding school i rented a room i rented a basement somewhere and i used to rollerblade to school which was like an hour and a half and you were how old then uh, 15 15 you 15. rented a room i rented a room Jeez. and i would rollerblade to school on the side of the highway i remember oh my God. <laughs> but, but cars would be honking Jeez. it was just me and me you know it is i'd go to school sit in the classes try to avoid and, things and this was yeshiva. was it like an ultra orthodox yeshiva or just like a regular or what no it was it was like a my first experience with Middle class or upper middle class. It was like mm-hmm. a private Jewish school. I got a scholarship to not have to pay anything, but uh, all the kids had Range Rovers and Mercedeses, and uh, the girls uh, would come into the school and they would, when they would leave the school, they would take off their dress. They already had pants under. Uh, the kids would put away their yarmulke. Uh, it was heaven. Uh, it was absolutely okay, heaven. Okay. I had my good friend, like mm-hmm. the one who was really good, and we would play checkers and go to the movies, and then mm-hmm. I had my bad friend. We would go drinking and <laughs> kid, you know, kid, you know, we did a bunch of stuff. So <laughs> I never really talked to any women. I was too shy, but I had my crushes. And it, it was, I asked a girl out once to a concert and I ended up going to the concert on my own. But mm. it was a real, I, I started integrating. But at the same time, I really had this deep, deep feeling of, I mean, not being good enough because mm. I really wasn't good enough. Mm. Meaning, I didn't know anything well enough. Right. I had no culture and understanding. I wouldn't understand any whatever people were talking about, like worldly stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was a very, very, and I felt very ugly. Uh, I had braces. I got braces uh, at the same time. So the braces, the language. I had braces at 13. <laughs> I had Jeez. braces until I was 18. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> parents do that just to torture their kids. I, I, I don't know. Can. You know, I wasn't really taught to brush my teeth and do things. Uh, we used to take a shower once a week. Really? Back, uh, yeah, uh, growing up. You so. must have got teased about that in Atlanta for sure. No, by the time I got to America. Oh, by the time you got yeah, to America. Yeah, yeah. But that was Israel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, so it was it was really the year of integration mm-hmm. uh, th- that whole s- section you know I can I can see clearly that I, I, I had real training in change and transformation and that was my training those were my mm-hmm. training grounds to just live I lived in multiple realities I come from I came yeah. from realities of junkies I came realities of religious people I right. came in the reality yeah. of Jewish religious people who had their own yeah. I mean, like the Jewish religious people who weren't too religious, but they still had their own world and their own. And then I actually ended up all the way graduating high school in Manhattan. Oh, I switched okay. to a public school with 3,000 kids, first interactions with non-white people. Ooh. And I actually graduated high school early. Wow. Uh Again, I didn't really go to school. I snuck into the dean's office. <laughs> I changed some grades. Back then, it wasn't digital. No kidding, you really? Yeah, did I did that. a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I, I, I tell stories of doing that. I never knew actually. actually yeah, did it. I figured it out because I really couldn't have passed anything. <laughs> I really didn't. I would get twenties. I remember getting twenties. Wow. I was really okay with history. 
and English. Mm. English I learned. Oh, once you learn, because then well, it's just grammar, you follow the rules. It was I don't know. First of all, I don't know. I was just very surprised that kids around me couldn't read, and I just got into this country. So once uh, I realized that people around me weren't really doing much, uh, I realized that I w- it's not that I was very smart. I just saw that the situation was kind of yeah, yeah. Well, you were street smart though. I was. I was right. right? You you learned how to how to game the system. Well, I had no choice really. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I graduating high school, I had a year before uh, going to school. I thought I was going to be a shrink. My mother told me I should mm. be an optometrist because you don't need math for that. <laughs> so I actually did become an optometrist, but of a whole other kind. <laughs> yeah. And I actually started a company. And wow. I started a technology company. And my goal was to take it public and be... And you started a technology company when? when right out of high school. Right out of high school. So right you didn't even go to college. No, I didn't go to college. You didn't go, wow. No, I volunteered at a, at a, I interned at a company, and I just saw the dot-com race going on, uh, and it was all about books and telling stories and getting right. certifications and finding the right people, and I just said yes to what came my way. I just kept mm-hmm. saying yes, and... Before you knew it, by the time I was 20, we had a company that had an evaluation of hundreds of millions of dollars. We had revenues in the millions of dollars, and we were on our way to take the company public in a very traditional way. I have to ask you one question before we end the segment, though. At what point did you cut off your payas? Because I know you must have had your payas when you came here from I, Israel. I'll tell you, I had the payas behind my ears for the first time in Atlanta. Okay. So I had regular payas, and then I put them behind my ears. Okay. And then... When I came to visit my father and decided to stay in New York, leaving Atlanta uh, once leaving again, uh-huh. when leaving my leaving, friends and everybody, yeah. that's when I cut my pay. So when I go into public school, they wouldn't tease me. Uh, okay. <laughs> taking you to what I call Black Wednesday. It was Black Wednesday for a lot of people, actually, in the Mm -hmm. stock market uh, days. So I get a phone call from my, I think it was my dad, actually. Uh I actually don't remember because it was, I remember the feeling in the phone call. I get a phone call that is saying that my business partner just got arrested by the SEC. Those are the guys who... Oh, yeah, the regulate companies. They regulate the stock and stuff. The stock, yeah. Which, and he got arrested along with, it was a list of all the other people who were involved in the process of taking our company public. Ah. And it was literally the day this, this see what we did, because kind of the bubble just crashed, it was 2001. Mm. Okay. We couldn't go public the traditional route based right. on valuation. And we, we went from a $200 million company to whatever, $30 million. You know, it was just, now right. we just had a company and revenues and clients and an infrastructure. Right. We had a good story. 
Right. And I was out there saying that we're going to provide a free broadband for everyone. So it was the free DSL. We were the first company out there to oh, wow. to offer advertising-supported broadband oh, to consumers. Okay. And I get it. So what we did is we had a company, in, an oil company in Dubai <laughs> that were already trading. We had an oil company in Dubai agree to buy us, making us instantly public. Uh, and okay. we each had $5 million worth of shares that would be... Mm. You know, ultimately going up the price, and we would have to wait a year right. and then sell out and right. be the multimillionaires that we all were. Right. And I get a phone call that everybody's. But there's nothing illegal about that whole process. Nothing illegal about it. Right. It was called a reverse merger. Yeah, reverse merger, right? And and that's very normal. And yeah. when my partner and all these people got arrested, he got out after 24 hours because they mm. saw that it was all kosher. However, the people who were cooking up the deal were not kosher. Oh, it was it was a day where over two hundred okay. people got arrested, and it was a big sting operation. And we were just little fish oh, in the pond, so we didn't get in trouble. Right. But the entire dream of being rich instantly Collapsed. at twenty one yeah. was gone. And now I had a company, and I, I felt like a big shot already because I was oh, just twenty one. I just got to this country. Yeah. Have, we had dozens of employees. We had millions of dollars in revenue. Oh, wow. And I knew that I wasn't that good. I was still me. Mm. So I always felt like anything was possible. I can mm. see this. I can imagine this. I can, yeah. I mean, to take you back from that Black Wednesday. I thought it was Black Monday. Black Wednesday. A Wednesday? Yeah. Okay. So to take you back, at this point, we had a company. We had a management team that I went out and I... I flew to California and I recruited people. I had them leave their companies to come work for us. I had people sleeping on the couch with me in the back <laughs> room for years oh developing this God. company. It was a it was a big operation. And we had you know we were written up in Time magazine, the or at least the Time Digital. The, it was a digital version. <laughs> uh, I mean, actual print. But yeah. uh, And I still can't find it. Sometimes I go to look oh, for it. Yeah, they, they only did that. But we had a big press book and press releases, and we had the whole right, story. Right. And, the whole investor relations pack. And it was, you know, I was 21, and any room I would go to back then, we would go over, raise money, would hire people. They would say yes. And mm. the company kept growing. And most of my work was really motivating and inspiring the team. And I was the sole, I was the main tech guy. I was the CTO, CIO. Uh, I studied everything. I used to set up mail servers, web hosting servers, routers. I We had a backbone, a nationwide backbone that I built. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's pretty heavy technical stuff. That's it, not, none, schlumps don't do that. You know, I, I, I had... I hired the right people who like literally would give me copy and paste of codes uh-huh. and I, I was taught the basics and I uh-huh. knew how to put everything together. Uh-huh. We didn't have any redundancy for anything and uh-huh. yet we st- I still made, I was an innovator. I was an innovator. I was the first, you know what? Mm. You know what's really funny? <laughs> I was the first, we were the first company to provide, or one of the first companies to provide radio streaming online. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, I remember setting up the servers and we had cables going from one server to another to transcode and encode. It was Windows Media Servers and AOL oh, Shoutcast. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. that was our biggest clients. We would get $100,000, $200,000 a month 
from uh, online streaming from online streaming because we were one of the wow. first to set it up uh, it's just an interesting fact that Jeez. I forgot to mention until now <laughs> you know we, our biggest client was Big Radio that was the name it was oh, called really? Big Radio and they had all these other uh, networks oh, wow. and it was all DJs and people sitting at home uh, running AOL Shoutcast servers oh, and Windows Media so servers and <laughs> look at you now <laughs> <laughs> now speaking of leaving with that client when that client Big Radio just one day collapsed like uh, everything else yeah I remember we had to once again leave, leave. I had to vacate because <laughs> we had hundreds of thousands of dollars in bills on a monthly basis and one day oh. And one yeah, day, so if you couldn't make that, you I couldn't make like, it. So yeah. I, I, I remember, like, literally taking all our, like, we came in and we snuck all our servers, you know, millions of dollars worth of equipment. Oh. We snuck them out on like a Sunday afternoon. We <laughs> schmoozed the guard. It was a real oh, thing, really? and we took it out and we put it somewhere else. Oh, Jesus! Because at that point, the business partner who got fired uh-huh. for getting us into trouble, sort right. of thing, he went to work for a competitor. Oh, and to kind of. It just, you know, after the deal crashed, I went and I put the company on the, what do I call it, the chopping block, the selling block. We went to sell the company. Everybody was offering me just money for the clients only. And Uh, it wasn't really enough to cover all our liabilities. uh, And so, of course, synchronistically, (laughs) this guy who was was really got us into trouble got mm-hmm. fired mm-hmm. he went and he came back working for a competitor and he did everything and he bought us out he did oh. he took care of all due diligence he was like um, first uh, basically it was all magic because if that guy didn't get didn't get arrested for no reason we would have mm-hmm. been in a lot of trouble a couple of years down the line right. if not a couple of months down the line right, 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 right. he got arrested the day the ceo of the dubai company came out to sign the deal so it was literally if he would have signed that deal, if it was no, one he day would have late, ended up in jail. We would have all and we would have oh. all been in a different place. Wow! So, <laughs> so if somebody was looking out for you guys. Yeah, and that guy really saved us. So yeah. he listened to his own intuition, and it may look like that it wasn't good decisions because, yeah. you know, he said yes to selling stock offshore and stupid yeah. things, but really we didn't do any of it. Right. What looked really bad, what took a, it really got us out of trouble. And then right. to make it even better, he went out, worked for a competitor, and, and bought us completely and really, really wow. saved the day. Yeah. Because at that point, I had millions of dollars off the hook. Now, I was a kid. I didn't have any collateral. But my right. father put his property, his farm, oh, really? his farmhouse. Oh, I mean, the whole wow. property, he put it as collateral to get some loans. Oh. Jesus. So, so if you had defaulted on that loan, so it, the, the it w- farm would be gone. Yeah, they would have taken the farm. Oh, jeez. So it was really, I could start and knowing seeing, your dad, he would never like speak to you again. You no, know, he was, I mean, <laughs> I, I remember calling my business partner and just saying, listen, you got to get me out of this. You just yeah. got to get my father out of this at this yeah. point. Yeah. Which was interesting because, you know, here I am. My father was really pushing me and encouraging me to do anything I wanted, but now we were all in trouble sort of thing, and I needed to get him out of trouble. And that's when I realized that I need to kind of be a little more independent. And my next project, not to get so many people involved, maybe... And so, so, so when you, your ex partner bought you guys out and took care of you and everything, so you ended up not owing any of that debt. 
That's right. But but did you end up with anything in your pocket, or you just ended up at zero? No, we didn't. We ended up with some cash. You it did. Was, okay. It wasn't too much. It was less than like, I think it was less than a hundred grand. Okay. Like divided by seven of us. We had seven uh, people, but we did get paid for the next two years or three years. Okay. Uh, but only if the clients, because what we did is we we migrated all the clients over to their network, network and they shut right. down our system. Right. And my job was to make sure that all the clients, clients stay. stay. So I yeah. worked as a consultant for the next year or so working mm-hmm. for the buyer. Right. Getting paid by the buyer and getting paid by the the client, the, you know, the ongoing commission, the the, the payments. Oh, the the payout, the buyout, which was a blessing and a curse because I didn't have to do much. I was uh, twenty one. I was kind of still of a big shot. I sold my right, company, right, right, and right, I didn't. Right. So, so for somebody who didn't know the real story, it looks real good on the surface, right? But deep inside, so, I'm like, oh crap, what am I going to do? And I had a yeah, really horrible yeah. breakup at the same time. Uh, of course, you know. This, yeah, this of is course. Whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're expecting you to be at this big shot. There's, there's a whole other uh, part yeah. where I'm, you know, I'm in this relationship, and it was just, it wasn't good. Mm. It wasn't good, and the relationship ended when I found out that she had a sugar daddy all along, and it was oh. really heartbreaking. And I couldn't, like, I was already feeling inadequate and not good enough in the first place. Yeah. So finding out that she had a sugar daddy throughout our entire relationship, and I didn't know about it because meaning I I was considering myself a sharp guy. Mm -hmm. It came out of left field, Mm. and I was really struggling with my thoughts. And that's when I got into hypnosis. I got into I got into. So you were still in New York when you got into hypnosis? Yeah, I was in oh, New well, York. I thought that I, happened in California. No, I took hypnosis oh. right here at 13th Street at the NLP oh, Center. Oh, the NLP here. Center here yeah, in, in Union with Square. Rachel and Steve. Oh. So here I am working, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of thinking of myself as an IT consultant, just sold the company, not sure what I'm going to do, taking hypnosis and really getting into hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming because I needed a way to stop my mind oh. from just eating eating itself up and so that was almost like a form of therapy for you it was it was it was a form of therapy yeah, and form of i can clearly again i try to i can clearly see and remember now how this training and anything was possible mm. you know anything really was possible whatever we put my imagination to happened mm. we were taking the company public we did hire all the right people yeah. we and and because it wasn't kosher all the way yeah. meaning we did it for the money yeah, yeah we didn't yeah. think about the customers we had yeah, a good yeah. story right, right right right. but the end goal was to be rich the right, end goal was right. to get out of this whole system so i don't have to go to school i don't have to right, do anything i don't have right. to i don't have to go and, and suffer because it just scared me to see what people were doing and mm. I, I did go to my first day of school Okay. I went. I went to college to the first day, and For I, one day. I, I, I just they told me I, I stood in line to get mm-hmm. in to whatever classes. I had all the mm-hmm. paperwork, mm-hmm. and because I, I got into a school, uh-huh. and my guidance counselor whatever did it all. Okay, but I, I left the line, and I said I, I don't. I didn't understand what I was going to do in that school. I said everybody here wants to get out of school to maybe be what I am right now, and I don't want to be what I am right now. So uh-huh. this is not. This doesn't really make sense. So you see, you saw the paradox right away. I saw, you saw the. the you saw, you know, people striving to be something you had already achieved and you already felt hollow inside. Right, right. So I can see how everything really 
I did say yes. I said yes yeah. to start the company. I said yes to the people. Mm-hmm. I said yes to selling the company. I said yes to whatever was coming. Right. And I could see that it was definitely training me in A, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. B, it's got to be connected to something real. Otherwise, it won't work. So now we're fast forwarding about four years or three yeah. years and then we're going to go back. Oh, so okay. it's, uh, I am watching, I'm at, in Middletown, New York. Okay, upstate. Um, and the third floor of, a New York, of a bil- an apartment building that we own, it's our business, we have a real estate brokerage. Oh, now you got the office is down. The office is downstairs, there's okay. desks and magnets uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> you know, for sale signs and Everything very cool. I'm very, you know, I'm a technology guy, so it's yeah. all online. It's all automated. Uh, I live upstairs on the third floor. My business partner just mortgaged the whole building to keep putting money in the bank and invest in the business. Wow. I think upwards of two, three hundred grand at that point. Wow. Wow. And had you moved out of the city there because you're up in Middletown? Yeah. Okay. What I, because what, what I, now I just want to say, so I'm sitting up there at the New York City, I mean, at the Middletown apartment. I am, I, like the night before, for no apparent reason, I'm watching Larry King live. I do not watch Larry King live, <laughs> and it wasn't a thing. And I saw this segment called The Miracle Man, and it was somebody who healed himself through visualization and imagination, and he was part of a documentary called The Secret. Now, apparently, uh-huh. so I went to go- I Google The Secret, because uh-huh. something about this, I felt like a calling. There was like a mystic thing going inside, like, it's time, it's mainstream. I'm like, what? Because I've just been studying NLP, I've been studying hypnosis, I ran into the law of attraction, and I've always seen my imagination and desire and will come to fruition, uh-huh. but I didn't really understand. Which which one was that? From the, which guy from The Secret do you remember? He wasn't was? in the documentary, oh, he wasn't but he was on Larry King Live. Oh. I go. I, I mean, they cut him out. He wasn't. He didn't make oh, the he was final one cut. One of the ones who they filmed, but they cut out. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. And so I Google the secret, and I am. I'm buying it, and I'm using a projector because we had a projector, and I'm oh. watching it in my house <laughs> on a projector. Now, I'm all messed up. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm 25. I'm way overweight. I'm another 50 pounds than I am right now. Wow. I have a secret cocaine thing going oh. for like six months now. Okay. Where I do it on my own in the basement, nobody knows. Oh. I do it when I get out of out of bed. Oh, I take, uh, and then at night I take painkillers and alcohol just to counteract the, the cocaine, cocaine. Mm-hmm. and go to sleep. And of oh, course, geez. there's a lot of scotch going with oh. the uh, painkillers, and. That was my life at that point. I was very sick, very tired, very depressed. I just came off an operation in the hospital where they put me under and they took out an ulcer. Oh, really? And I was just diagnosed with sleep apnea after sleeping in a hospital for three days. And they told me that I'm going to die, basically, if there's not a machine that's pushing air down my throat 
on a consistent basis in order mm-hmm. to keep me alive. Mm-hmm. My sleep apnea index was high because they basically told me that there is not a, I, I don't get a one minute of sleep. I, I, there, there are, I basically don't breathe for over a minute sometimes. Oh, when you're sleeping. Yeah. Now, so I get diagnosed. They give me these pills called Provigil or they're for like a narcolepsy. They're supposed to keep me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they give me pills for the ulcer. They give me pills for everything. And I am just on everything at this point. Jeez. Really, really depressed. Not talking to anyone about it. Nobody knows my stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just spent the past three, four years doing real estate, starting a real estate company, seeing my business partner just invest tons of money in it. Uh. I did all the right things. Developed was, all the right was websites. The com- was the was the real estate company a successful real estate company? No, it wasn't. Uh, okay. Because at that point, I was just I just kept destroying myself and without knowing why. Mm. And we were jumping from idea to idea to idea to idea to idea. Every time something happened, we were all chiefs, not enough Indians. Gotcha. Uh, was this like you were trying to do what they call creative real estate, flipping houses and stuff like that? Or was this just traditional, like being brokerage? It was a straight out brokerage, but we were three visionaries. We didn't want to go to work. Oh, okay. We wanted other people to go to work. <laughs> and you didn't have any other people to go <laughs> well, to work yet. Not enough. <laughs> not enough. And I wasn't really wanting to do it. That's the real story. Mm. I, I didn't want to do it already. Yeah. I, it wasn't real. It didn't give me any sense of fulfillment. I like the idea, I like the creation, I like the manifestation, but it wasn't my thing. It just wasn't. Right. Right. And and I needed to go through another lesson. I really did. By by the way, just as a side thing, you know, like before I was doing what I'm doing now, I was in real estate. I was actually did development work where I lost a ton of money, which I never really wanted to go into real estate because my mom was always so into it. So I always stayed far away, but because my wife at the time uh, and I didn't have a job. My business, I had just closed down in the aerospace industry after the Columbia blew up. She was like, why don't you, you know, we renovated the apartment. Why don't you go? She encouraged me to get into real estate. And so I did, probably mostly to please her, but also doing it, not really wanting to do it. Right. I mean, it all started, I did think to go into investing and flipping because I had a little bit of money. I had a little bit of income ongoing. Right. I figured maybe I could do it. But I read some of the books and I realized that for some reason, I know, of course, I know why. I went to visit one of my business part, my old business partners, and he was doing real estate uh, out in Jersey. Okay. And he was like, man, I, and, I, and I saw, oh, that could be fun using technology, using people. Uh-huh. Uh, I liked NLP hypnosis. I liked the, the whole, uh, I liked the process, and it seemed like I could be really good at it. And the truth is, it just wasn't for me. And once again, I was just doing the next hottest thing. I went from technology right, to real estate. To real estate which My investing seemed like it was a little far-fetched because I didn't have enough liquidity or the network. Mm. I went and I got myself into a Remax here in New York, Remax uh-huh. Gotham City, yes. uh-huh. because I wanted the independence. I, didn't want, I mean, yeah. I worked for Corcoran for a little bit, but I wanted to do my own okay. thing. I wanted to keep gotcha. all the commission. Gotcha. And yeah, then yeah. I realized I don't want to be a bro. I don't want to be an agent. I want to be a broker. broker. So I started right. a broker. I wasn't going to do it in New York, so I did right. it upstate New York where my father had, you know. More contacts. Some, and some not even, kind of, he, he was around. Yeah. So okay, okay. I and went out there. Some support from him. Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, it was actually pretty depressing because I did not want to do real estate. I did not want to be in the business anymore. It was all about the idea and about the money. Mm. And my soul was crying now, I was disconnected from my soul. I did not, I was not spiritual in any way, shape, or form. There was not a spiritual place in me. The ex-girlfriend, the one who had the sugar daddy, was very spiritual, and that did not help. 
<laughs> yeah, I could just imagine. Oh, yeah, you're so spiritual. Oh, and by the way, I she's cheating on you the I whole time. I swear I would have these visions because I would go with her to New Life Expo uh-huh. sometimes. And yeah. when she told me she was cheating on me, right. she had this friend who used to do like holistic surgeries with his hands or whatever. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, they were all sleeping with her. All the <laughs> new age, like right, right, spiritual right. people with chakra cameras. And <laughs> I, 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 was, I was really, really allergic to the whole thing. Again, it also made me feel inferior or inadequate. Uh, so new age and spirituality was not really my thing. However, I really had a clear understanding that there's something going on with consciousness because of hypnosis and language. Mm. But I did think it was all the mind. I thought you can train the mind. Uh, I was starting to train the mind, get the mind, be the right, mind, right. you know, get really good control over it. I used to have right. self-hypnosis script for myself. Right. And it, was the mis- it wasn't right. A lot of people use, though, that NLP stuff for, like, when they're doing sales kinds of work. Because, like, you know, the way you word things and, how you know, reading people and stuff to become very successful at sales. I'm yeah, surprised. it's true. Did you use any of that NLP to help you with the real estate business? I would imagine it would have supported it. I definitely, I definitely was consciously using... I mean, once I learned some patterns and some basic human behavior patterns and language patterns, I was using it all the time. Right. It just became very natural, natural to me because I was also learning English. Uh, so I was learning English and hypnosis and business wow, all okay. around the same time. Right. So it wasn't much of, I didn't feel like it was manipulative. It really, for me, it felt like I have a little bit of an understanding of the human mm. consciousness and how it operates. Right. So getting yeses from people, knowing that it's going to get to mm-hmm. another yes, or mm-hmm. really paying attention to people and connecting to what they want to know, what they want to hear. Right. So it was a mix of my, you know, natural intuition and then just a little bit of skills. Right. And yeah, I used it all the time. Yeah. I mean, I I used it all the time. Yeah. I remember it was a thing. Yeah. I mean, I studied the pickup artist society, that whole oh, like yeah, yeah, the yeah, seduction yeah, yeah. communities yeah, yeah. with women. Again, yeah. all because feeling inadequate, mm-hmm. not because I thought I was really good. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I wasn't good enough. So you needed something like that, too. That's right. That's right. So here I am watching The Secret, just spending the past four or five years, like, launching more businesses. I launched three different businesses with that business partner. Oh, wow. I had uh, NPR, which is the the straight brokerage. And then I had an Apple to Orange, which was busing people from New York City to Orange County and getting exclusive on developments. Oh. And then bu- busing people from New York City. Yeah. And then I had another company called Freedom Agents where uh, basically it was a virtual brokerage where people get to keep all their commission, but they have to check in online. Yeah. It was a whole thing. Right. Years and years and years of projects. But at that point, again, I'm sitting there, I'm sick, I'm depressed. And it hit me that I'm, I'm killing myself. Yeah. I'm killing myself. Yeah. Sleep apnea is not breathing. I'm 25 yeah. years old. I'm yeah. not breathing. I'm overweight. Yeah. The doctors never asked me about my cocaine habits yeah. or about my pills or about my, you know, drinking. Mm-hmm. And something felt wrong. I knew that I didn't trust the doctors because mm-hmm. they never asked me any real questions. Right. But at the same time, I knew that here I am. I am 25. And at 13, I had to leave my mother. Right. At 25, I had to leave my father. And that was when I had to leave my father and repattern the masculine mm. in my life, that's when the next chapter of my life began. Oh, you know, you know, you know.
So here I am about three months after watching, maybe less, two months after watching The Secret in my house. I am in the car, in a car heading one way to California. I am just leaving, it is the middle of the night, it's my second night out. I'm in Memphis and I just, I took my... Uh, narcolepsy sort of pills during the day so I can keep driving and I don't fall asleep because mm. I kept falling asleep and then I was so hyped up that at the restaurant at night I popped a few painkillers with some white wine just so I can help me go to sleep uh. and I felt like I was going to die Jeez. I was on my knees crying feeling like I'm going to die I called my dad he didn't pick up uh. And I was like, shit, I'm going to die. Like, I'm here in a hotel somewhere in Memphis with a car full of people heading one way to California. I just, three days ago, I told my business. Wait, 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 full of people? No, no. They say full of people? Yeah, you said a car full of people. No, full of stuff. Like full, full of, of my, all okay. my stuff. Uh, just okay. The only stuff I figured I would take with me one way to California and okay. my trunk. So a few books well, in my trunk. Why did you decide on California as the destination? Uh, well, when I... Ten years prior, when I went out to recruit my first big uh, hire, uh-huh. he was out in California, uh-huh. and so I had I just I always wanted to go back there. Uh-huh. There was something about the sun, okay. about the air. It was a destination. Right. I, I called Chris. I said, "Listen, Chris, if I need to crash at your place a few days, can I come?" He's like, "Sure, I'm going to be gone anyway for family. You can even dog sit for dog dog sit for a few days." Oh, okay. So I just. I just, you know, it was in a relationship that I had from 10 years or six mm-hmm. years before, and I just drove. I just told my business partner that I'll be back after the weekend because <laughs> I couldn't even face him. <laughs> oh, geez. No, I mean, the guy just sunk all, you know, all his money into it. It was like his, he always said that it was his last big project and he was in his uh, 50s, and I, I just couldn't face him. I couldn't face uh, anyone. I told my girlfriend that I'm going to go get us set up without having any intention to uh, actually come back. Uh, or I mean uh, to invite her. Invite her to come out. And but here I am. I'm leaving Memphis. So I leave Memphis in the middle of the night, the hotel, because I couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. I was all jacked up, mm-hmm. and I'm driving, and it's raining and raining and and storming. And I'm driving pretty slow. I did New York to California at 55 miles an hour. It's true because wow. I didn't. I just there was an older car, and I figured yeah. it needs to last <laughs> at least until you get out there. And I am just. I am remembering Jack Canfield from the movie The Secret mm. where he's saying something about New York to California, California to New York, and the only thing you see is the few hundred feet ahead of you with the headlights, and your job is to just keep going. Mm. And I just break down crying, remembering that, because all I see is the front, mm. and I f- the take all the pills, and I'm flushing them. I, I, mean, I'm not fl- I mean, I'm throwing outside the window, crying, Jeez. driving, and I'm just throwing all the pills out, and I'm making the decision to be sober and be clean and start now uh-huh. and not when I get to California. And well. that was the 
you know, leaving again mm-hmm. <laughs> and with this intention. And I had this thing, I had this realization that a lot of who I was, I was becoming the successful version of my father or whoever my father wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I left to California because I felt like it was important to me to find out who I am and be beyond the my father beyond the one who idolized and i really mm-hmm. admired i realized there's something wrong here i need to find who i am without being the version that my father mm-hmm. is proud of mm-hmm. because it wasn't working i kept going for money i kept going for right. success i kept right. going for all the right things he would even back me up as much as he can right. but i could tell because i wasn't breathing because i was sick mm-hmm. because uh I was just so really, own. you just you you, not just your father, but I mean, removed yourself from the whole environment. I was done because it's more than just it's more than just one person though. These major influence in your life, but it's your business partner, it's the community, it's it's the people you hang out with. It's it's my entire past. Yeah. I just spent ten years as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Never worked for anyone. Always did my uh, own thing. Uh, I always owned my businesses. I always mm-hmm. had my own office. I always mm-hmm. had my own car. I, you know, there was always mm-hmm. a sense of independence Dependent. and self-reliance. Yeah. Not really, because it was somebody right. else's money and somebody else's right. investment. Right. I never really paid myself too much, yeah. but I always had everything I needed. But wow. That sounds familiar. <laughs> so I'm just heading out there to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And my dream was to get a job working in a cafe at the beach and get healthy. Mm. That was a, that sounded romantic. I watched a lot of movies and I figured romantic comedies. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, a lot of romantic comedies, and I figured that that would be that would be it. And I dog sat for a few days, and I watched something on DVD that I bought of an infomercial right before I left. It was Steve Scott something. I have no idea. <laughs> Some millionaire mindset thing. However, it was really important because they had me do this exercise where I write my day out in the future. Uh-huh. And I sat down and I wrote a lot. And a lot of what I wrote in those four or five days on my own at Chris's apartment mm-hmm. is what I'm living right now. Uh-huh. I know that for a fact. I got, and then when Chris was coming back from wherever he was, I had to leave and I found myself a one room uh, at the beach sharing it as with a roommate who was a male uh, truck driver mm-hmm. so he wasn't there at night he was just sleeping oh. there during the day and guess what he had a big sleep apnea machine uh-huh. and you know uh, he was all you know also overweight just being there and i figured okay this is a sign i'm gonna i got a i got a gym membership i oh. called my another business partner old business partner of mine he was always very sweet still is Stephen and I borrowed money for first month I didn't have any money I drove out there with $300 oh, and right before arriving to LA after 10 days on the road because I took mm-hmm. my time mm-hmm. 80 miles from LA one of the back wheels popped off Uh oh! and I had to slowly get to a town called Ghost Town and I pulled in, <laughs> and I got into this mechanic who was a Palestinian who helped me for the last few hundred dollars I had. I gave it to him, and he put my car back together. Wow. And it was a very eerie experience. I knew I was protected. I felt uh-huh. very safe. I mean, that that wheel could have flown out any time. Right, and right. it just happened right before getting to L.A., ghost town, Palestinian. It was amazing. Uh-huh. It was a real... 
I felt protected. I felt love. I felt very alone mm-hmm. because it was just me and me. Mm-hmm. But I knew that there's someone watching me. I always known that. I always had the sense. I was following something. Mm-hmm. And I got the New York City apartment. <laughs> Carlsbad apartment. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I looked on Craigslist and I went on different job interviews, like being an assistant at a chiropractor office. Mm-hmm. I didn't get the job, but I got a free adjustment, uh-huh. which I really needed after 10 <laughs> days in the car. I really, really did. Smart. And basically I had an idea. I had a flash of insight saying, why don't I just look at the books that I brought with me, look at the books and contact any of the authors that I like. Maybe there are, you know, I'm in California. I'm in yeah. new age town. Yeah, yeah. And I opened one book. One cover, it was called Power Persuasion, and I contacted the author, and we had lunch in the next couple of days. And during that lunch, I said to him, here I am, I'm in California now, I have experience with marketing and business, maybe I can, I like self-help, I like the industry, Mm -hmm. because when I watched The Secret, I had this sign, it was literally my sign, said go to California, get into the personal development industry. I always wanted to. Mm-hmm. I always had this inclination to get into the self-help and be mm-hmm. teaching and sharing. I didn't know what. I always knew that mm-hmm. one day I'm going to be sharing and teaching. And it was 10 years ago that I said, okay, let me follow that passion. Let me follow that intuition. Right. Open up that book, had the lunch with the guy, and he said to me, if you want to know, you got to call my, you got to contact my teacher. And he gave me my te- his teacher's name. I Googled him. And I found out that he had a persuasion seminar where he's going to teach all, you know, it was $5,000 and it was three days out in Sedona. And I said to myself, okay, I'm going to go there. Mm. I didn't even have gas money to come back. Oh, wow. It was one way with one way gas. And I drove all the way to Sedona and make a long story short, I left Sedona with a job and gas money. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how did you pay for the seminar for $5,000? I didn't. I didn't. Uh-huh. I didn't. He, you know, I told, I said, I'm here to explore working with you. And uh-huh. I persuaded the persuasion master. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we finished the last segment. <laughs> right. And, you know, I got a gig. Basically, the gig was very simple. The gig was, you look at my 30 years material mm-hmm. and see what you can come up with that's applicable to today. And he sent me all his stuff, and I said, in a coffee shop, mm-hmm. going over content, ah. getting paid. It was only three weeks into it. I don't think I got more than a few paychecks where I ran into some stuff, and it was called The Dark Side. And in that CD, it was something about how to get your girlfriend to commit suicide or something like that. Oh. And I was like, what's that? That's weird. So I called my mom, and my mom said, to me, hey, can I do an I Ching reading about him? Because mm-hmm. my mother does these readings. I Ching, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I go to Kenrick, the guy, and I say, mm-hmm. hey, my mom wants to do I Ching reading because I read some crazy stuff and I need some help here. I don't know mm-hmm. why you have this. And he said, well, I'm here to teach people about the dark side. That's why it's called the dark side. Mm-hmm. But I would love a reading. Make a long story short, she does. A, he does a reading. My mother, I mean, he throws some she, stuff. She throws the coins. He, yeah. he throws the coins. She does the reading oh, and she tells me, you got to get out of there. You okay. can't work for this guy. I go back to Kenrick. I said, dude, uh-huh. what do you mean? Like, why? I, got, I just found this job. Yeah. I, I just arrived. I'm, it's a dream, self-help, mm-hmm. personal development. 
and you tell me you got to go, I got to go? He said, listen, your mom is right. I am very dangerous in potentiality. I'm not dangerous with you, but I am a babalao. I can do spells. I work with dark energies. I don't have any partners. You're the first guy in 30 years that I'm willing to work with because you're protected. And as a matter of fact, your mom is protecting you. Where does your name come from? I say Kabbalah because I've always said Kabbalah. Uh. He said, you should look into that. Make a long story short, I Google Kabbalah. I go to an introduction lecture in San Diego, really close by. And when they try to sign me up for a class, I say, I'd like to teach here. (laughs) Of course. I just spent 10 years in marketing and business. And then another 10, 15 years of my childhood in religious schools. I'm interested in self-help. This is a perfect storm. Self-help with religion and spirituality. And it's all my mother's tongue. It's Uh all in stuff that I really like. So when they said, uh, you can't be a teacher here, I said, well, I will. Mm. And sent a few emails, did a lot of, uh, basically, make a long story short, I want to finish this segment with me leaving again Mm. in the middle of the night, moving out of the mail truck roommate apartment because I couldn't give him a 30-day notice. Uh-huh. Because I got a call from the Kabbalah Center saying, you're invited to a teacher's training. It's starting two days from now. We've been planning it for years. But you're coming in. You can come in right now, be here in two days, wow. plan to spend two weeks with us. And I knew that I wasn't coming back uh-huh. to Carlsbad. LA was two hours away. I got Chris's truck, and I did two trips back and forth or in the middle of the night, and I moved <laughs> into a living room, to somebody's living room oh my God. in L.A. So leaving again, wow. and here I am starting in Los Angeles to become a teacher training at the Kabbalah Center. So here I am, moving to L.A. I call Kenrick, and I say, Kenrick, you turned, you said to me, research Kabbalah, and now I'm going to go uh, train, <laughs> go train to be, be a teacher. teacher training, wow. And he was actually not too happy, I remember. He was kind of hurt, mm. and he was getting a little pissy with me. I remember he But said, didn't, didn't he tell you to do that? I well, mean, he was happy for me that yeah. I followed my rabbit hole right but he was unhappy the implications on him no he was unhappy because I left because uh, I wasn't going to go work for him anymore and uh, he knew that and it's funny we're just visiting his website and he's got the dark side too two. and it's good <laughs> good listen I, I'll always love Kenrick I appreciate the opportunity and the direction mm. it was because of Kenrick that I found out just then at the age of 26 mm. that my entire inception conception whatever when my parents made me mm-hmm. they were involved with the Kabbalah Center before it was the Kabbalah Center oh. my name comes from their whole involvement in the Kabbalah Center the entire oh. divorce came from trouble with the Kabbalah Center oh really yeah and at least well, back then it was just the, right, the, the right. father and right, the, 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 the Bergs and right. the Bergs and then the kids were kids they lived in yeah. my house for six months they wow. they lived in and when I was a baby or before I was a baby or whatever right, it was right, right. so me finding that at 26 you know after all these experiences I realized that you know I found myself at 26 in LA spending two weeks in this teacher's training and I quickly come mm. to realize that it wasn't a real teacher's training 
No. It was more of like a full-time volunteer recruitment program ah. where they were telling us they were basically they were expecting or hoping that people and most people did mm-hmm. become full-time what's called Hevra still uh-huh. is uh-huh. where people work and live there 24/7 and of course it wasn't really a thing I was going to do yeah. and one of the brothers there were the two brothers who worked there uh, and one of the brothers basically came to me after the training mm-hmm And he said to me, "I know you don't want to be a hevra here, and that's not really why I want you to be here. I'd like you to be my underground marketing guy, which was kind of weird underground underground marketing guy I was like, what does an underground marketing guy <laughs> does? It doesn't make sense. He says, "Will you research the um spirituality industry and let me know what what we can do? What is our opportunity so I want to fast forward to like three years into it mm mm-hmm. I am about to take a meeting with one of the people from the secret mm. and we are discussing where the final like stages he signed in letter of intent and we are discussing making the next secret based on spiritual concepts oh wow. the the guy uh, the guy was all into it he had other people mm-hmm. and the director of the Kabbalah Center was into mm. it and here I am three years into it. Now, oh. really, actually less than three years, he, and like talking with people about creating the next secret, mm-hmm. using spirituality, mm-hmm. but I'm not in a good place again. I have, yeah. I have staples in my head because I've been drinking and I just jumped out of a moving car from oh, a place of anger and uh, unconsciousness and women issues and oh, whatever oh, was going on with me. I if that's all you had was staples in your head, you definitely had yeah, somebody looking out for you. jumped out of a moving car at forty miles an hour Jeez. and so here I am in a lot in the same position, not now not feeling good because I didn't feel good about my work at the Kabbalah Center either at that point mm. because I found most of the dealings that I had mm-hmm. it wasn't focus on the customers or the students or the clients or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. I was involved in so much. monetization and numbers mm-hmm. game mm-hmm. and now I realized that it the, was the business side of it and now I realize it was you know it was the people I was hanging out with mm-hmm. it was the sort of situations I was attracting mm-hmm. but it really was heartbreaking uh-huh. it was heartbreaking because here I am I just got this awesome gig mm-hmm. working for the place where I mm-hmm. it was the place where I grew up in I grew yeah. up with mysticism I grew up with spirituality mm-hmm. And now it's being presented in a way that I that makes my whole I had peace with my childhood for the first time uh, because I never understood mysticism until I got to the Kabbalah Center uh, okay it was going through their uh, to their trainings and taking some classes and realizing mm-hmm. that Judaism and its core mm-hmm. is shamanism yeah. and shamanism at its core is really bridging spirituality and matter and The Kabbalah Center, they were preaching it, they were teaching it, they were showing mm. it. And even though I didn't appreciate how they treated their students or I didn't have mm-hmm. I had differences of opinion, I was able to connect to the mysticism. Mm. I was able for the first time to connect and forgive 15 years of mm-hmm. trouble. Because mm-hmm. my first 15 years, I didn't like the teachers, I, didn't, I thought it was right, all crap. Right, right. Here I am at the Kabbalah Center 
all the way out in Los Angeles mm -hmm. in a place where celebrities, Ashton Kutcher's and people would come yeah, in. They would Madonna. put them to fill in. No, yeah. they, they, they would get, they would be really religious. And that was my other issue with them. My other issue with them is they would continually say, that was my main issue, honestly. Yeah. My main issue wasn't how to treat students or customers because I realized that, I don't know, people who get abused get abused everywhere. It's very, it's very easy to target the the organization yeah the organizations need to be better mm -hmm. but it's a play it's a it's a play mm -hmm. from both parties mm -hmm. the main issue i didn't I, i had was i didn't feel like they were honest because what they were doing is they were saying that it's not jewish it's not jewish it's not jewish and yet behind closed doors it was very jewish centric centric it was the rituals were jewish yeah. people were converting mm -hmm. quietly uh, and people who, who converted got more respect People who converted and were closer yeah. had more, you know, say. Yeah. And I didn't like it. I mean, I said, come on, if you're going to just, just give him something good. Mm -hmm. But I'm not here to bitch about them. I was bitching about myself because here mm -hmm. I am all the way in California mm -hmm. finding myself in the same situation, recreating mm -hmm. the same patterns. I thought mm -hmm. that if I left and I had a chance to reinvent myself, right. I could do it. But instead, I find myself in the same dynamics with mm -hmm. bosses I didn't like, with coworkers I didn't tell the truth mm -hmm. to, with customers who really didn't know the whole story. Right, right, right. And I was, was there still some shady side to the business. Yeah, yeah. And I was drinking again. I just, <sighs> you know, I, I really didn't, I didn't touch any other substances at that point. But I was drinking, and I was still hurt, mm. and I was still spinning my stories, mm. and. At that point, I was 29 now. Now I'm 29. And I remember I got an offer from an outside organization to be a double agent. That was their word. They were like, you can work for them <laughs> and you can work for us and we can go to the district attorney and we can... And I got myself into a whole bunch of stuff and I was like, oh, what really? is going on? What am I doing? How did I go from New York to California on my own Finding yeah. the child, my childhood place, finding spirituality right. that they used to. Finding where your name came from. My name came from. <laughs> the people who were there during my birth. Mm. With the opportunity to do whatever I wanted. I, I had a project where I went around the country for, I went, to, I went to 30 different cities in like six months with the Kabbalah Center. And my job was to put out this seminar called Kabbalah, the Best Kept Secret. Uh -huh. And I, I was in charge. I was involved in the content and the creation. I mm -hmm. was involved with the speaker, mm -hmm. and we would go around, and I would see a thousand people come in to the room. Uh -huh. Sometimes a thousand, sometimes two hundred, sometimes fifty, yeah. and I could feel that all they wanted is love, and all they wanted mm -hmm. is community, and all mm -hmm. they wanted is to know that they are okay. Yeah. So, you know. I could clearly see now how it was part of my training. It was important mm -hmm. for me to see what people want. It was important mm -hmm. for me to get in touch again with my spiritual side, to yeah. forgive my teachers and realize that my growing up in, my in mysticism that was all you know, basically suppre suppressing and abusive, they just didn't know. Most people didn't know. Yeah. Even my teachers didn't have any other option. Mm -hmm. So going all the way out to, you know, uh, L.A. And I have this really funny truth where when I was religious, I would secretly watch Beverly Hills 90210 on the screen and think that that's the real life and that's the good life. And then I found myself 29 years old 
in Beverly Hills 90210 in that exact zip code <laughs> watching celebrities watch us on screen. Wow. Because they had all these screens and then yeah, like, you yeah, scan yeah, the Zohar yeah. and celebrities would come in Beverly Hills 90210 to watch religious people on screen and they would pay for it and they would want it and they thought that was their way. Yeah. Kabbalah was a secret. Yeah. So I saw my imagination completely in the inverse of it. I saw my entire <laughs> life, like, I was like, be careful what you wish wow, for, because yeah. this is where I wanted to be. Right. And here I am, and they want to be in the exact opposite. Right. And that's when I knew that I'm, you know, I'm having a, a spiritual meltdown, a spiritual mm. crisis of sorts, because if I got all the way back to my home state, you know, Kabbalah mm-hmm. and mysticism and uh, indigenous Judaism mm. and I can't find myself there all I'm being asked for and I, so I tried to get fired I did you tried I, to get yeah, fired yeah I sent an you email didn't succeed I sent an email to like everybody in the company everybody all the teachers and everyone and I had it was a whole manifesto saying look you guys saying Kabbalah best kept secrets you're saying it's all about certainty but you're not telling the truth you're not being transparent with your people if you're you know I worked with the department and anytime somebody else used Kabbalah, they went out and they sued them and the Kabbalah was ours and everything was ours and there was only one way to do it. And I was like, how, you know, why, why, really? Why? Now, again, I take full responsibility mm-hmm. for the rooms that I visited, for the people that I worked with. This is mm-hmm. not the entire Kabbalah center. Mm-hmm. This is not the entire picture. This was my reality. This, right. These are... I was hanging out with the scammers. Right. I was hanging out with the, right. you know, abusers of sorts. Right. I just didn't realize that it was my soul just being attracted to where I thought I belong or didn't belong. Mm. And it doesn't matter where I left. It doesn't matter the how far I've gone. Still, mm. I find myself in the same situation, this time in my own mother's tongue. Mm. And this time with nowhere to run. Mm. Nowhere to run. It, it was apparent. Yeah, that mirror was held up clear and like at the edge of your nose. Edge of my nose and using all of, you know, all of my life's experience to show me that you can, I can't run away. Yeah. I just can't. Send an email. You guys are assholes, scammers. I'm just waiting to get fired. All right. It's and daring like uh, them to fire you. Instead, I get promoted. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> instead, I basically I work for two brothers. So, uh, the, you know, the, the, I worked for one brother for those three years. Right. And you know, researching spirituality, doing all the joint ventures. Mm-hmm. What I didn't say is. We had a meeting scheduled for that next secret. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I sent that email mm-hmm. was that the Kabbalah Center people didn't show up to the meeting. Uh-huh. And I was really confused. Uh-huh. I was like, I don't understand. You guys asked me to bring you like the latest and greatest opportunity mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doing the secret spiritual style mm-hmm. and everybody on the table were ready. Mm-hmm. And well, you know what they told me? They told me, we're not ready for that. Really? They said, we're not ready for this sort of exposure. Oh. 
And that's when I was really confused. I'm like, what the hell is going on over here? And that's when I sent the email. Did they really mean that or was that just an excuse? Who knows? Who cares? The person, again, we all, we don't have, it's not about the entire cabal center. It's just the people I was working with. Right, right, right. And so here I am. I'm obviously not going to do, oh, and that person who was going to do the guy from the secret mm. who got everybody in the table. He said to me, listen, I don't care if the Kabbalah said want to do it. I'll do it with you. Oh, and that was reassuring. I knew that I'm on the right track. I knew that I'm here, but still. Yeah. So that's when I went to the beach every day and for about six, seven months, I was 29. Every day I would go to the beach after work and I would, it was the first time that I really, I didn't trust. I just didn't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I just didn't know. You've listened for the past hour or so. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. What, what's, what am I to do next? Right. So I just observed my thoughts and I wanted to see what's going on. And that was my work. I would go to the beach. I would put a beach chair because it was hard for me to sit on the sand. And it was hard work for me to just sit there and look at the oceans and observe my thoughts, sometimes for 40 minutes, sometimes for three hours. Oh, wow. And that was my work. You did that in the beginning of the day, end of the day? End of the day, right after end work. Right after I would wait all day and then I would go. Uh, and then I was in a relationship, of course, again. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really good. Mm-hmm. So it was lacking everything, of course. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. just, a, I needed a, it felt like I needed a home. Right. And I had a home and I had a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, we didn't like each other, really. Mm. And so I'm sitting there at the beach, and I am, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. Mm. I've been praying now for some time. Mm. I'm praying. I'm on my knees, like, crying, saying, please, God, life, magic, supporting angels, whoever all of you are. I know I'm on a mission. I'm obviously being guided and pushed and prodded. Everything always works out. With all the crazy dramas, I was always safe and taken care of. Mm. Whether I had a dollar in my bank or more, mm. you know, I always man, I was always taken care of. Mm. So I said, "What's next? You gotta really like show me the way. What's next? What's mm. next? Please, 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 please." And it was a Kabbalah Center teacher who I was working with, who at that point wasn't, you know, he got fired from the Kabbalah Center. Oh, okay. And I was helping him with a few things. He wasn't able to pay me. And he came to me and he says, hey, listen, I know you've been really great and I appreciate you and I want to take you somewhere as a gift. Mm. And he took me to a shamanic ceremony. Uh I, you know, as never, you know, I grew up with all kinds of stuff at home. So I really was never, and and while I dabbled with some cocaine or whatnot, it was really like a depressing situation. Mm-hmm. And nobody really knew about it. Right. I stayed away from substance. I stayed right. away from drugs. I stayed right. away from things. And when I did it, that's why I ran away to California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when when this guy said, I'm taking you to a shamanic ceremony where they're using uh, plant medicine, I said, Okay, because that guy was like very square and oh really yeah 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 he was so he's not the guy you would expect to right right so I said okay but I mean did you know anything about what indigenous shaman I I knew none I knew knew none of the stuff I uh, and I had a lot of experience with rabbis and self help gurus and I really didn't trust anyone Right, right so I walk into this room and 
I trust this guy. Mm-hmm. I just feel good and safe. And I have an experience where for the first time ever, mm-hmm. the ceremony was focused around my, the heart. And I experienced mm-hmm. my own heart for the first time ever. Yeah. on a consistent basis meaning right. you know those experiences that you have during the movies yeah. where you're like gushing and you feel really connected yeah, and the music and the sound and everything yeah, like all the, gets so, to that crescendo right right so that 10 seconds yeah. or 30 seconds well I experienced that for 3 hours wow and that for me was my awakening mm-hmm. because what I realized is, is everything I've been doing is fine but what was missing is heart, heart. yeah so I got back to my heart for the first time at the age of 29 mm. and everything changed for me. Mm. Everything changed. Everything. I pretty quickly went and I went home. I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. I went and I asked for, I don't know what the percentage is. I asked for 100% raise. I asked for double wow. what I was making. And... I I just I just went from I just from went from bitching, complaining and worrying because what I didn't say, what I discovered at the beach mm-hmm. when I observed myself all these hours mm-hmm. is I did come to a realization right before my that ceremony I attended. Mm-hmm. I've come to a realization and experience that all of my suffering is me explaining myself in my head, me not wanting oh. to be here. I'm always constantly telling people a million things just to protect myself. I'm always hustling mm. the world around me because I don't think I'm good enough. Mm. And when I realized that, that was the beginning. And when I had my, when I went to the shamanic ceremony mm-hmm. and I realized that my heart is really good and everything that I mm. do is really good by default mm-hmm. and all of my suffering and pain is because I didn't know I'm good by default. I thought there was mm. something wrong with me. Mm. So this experience of, loving myself and the ability to stay present with my own thoughts Mm -hmm. and to start taking care of myself. I broke up with my girlfriend because it was an act of Uh self-care. I went to my boss and I said to him, listen, I'm lying to you half the time. Every time you ask me for an update, I give you the best version in the world because I don't think I'm good enough. So I'm always having to please you. Uh I started telling the truth for the first time ever in my life. Uh I got the raise. I pushed all my deadlines. Uh, I this, I started to deal with people with compassion and empathy. I started telling, I brought everybody up to speed. I always told everybody the truth. I wow. took my team and I said, hey, instead of faking it over here, I know everybody, every one of you wants to get out of here mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you want to do? And instead of looking for the job title you came in with, mm-hmm. what is it that you want to grow into? Mm-hmm. And I developed Kabbalah University. That was something that didn't exist wow. before I came in. Mm-hmm. It existed in theory. Right. And I worked for three years. You know, I didn't bitch. I didn't complain. I didn't try to shut anyone down. I didn't. I just took care of myself. Wow. I took care of myself. Wow. And I made a shamanic journey a part of my life. And... It really, it was the missing piece because while the Kabbalah Center reminded me of my spirituality and my mysticism Mm -hmm. and they showed me the importance of community, Mm -hmm. going back into my heart showed me the building block of community, showed me what happens when you get into your heart, your imagination is free again. Once again, for the first time in my life, once my heart was open, I was able to see that my imagination is free again. Mm -hmm. And all I've been wanting to do since I am a kid Mm-hmm. was 
inspiring and helping and mm. being in the capacity of a teacher, a spiritual teacher, Giving a life guide. Giving advice. And of sorts. Yeah. yeah. Always, 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 always. And really it was an amazing, I met my wife uh, right then and there. Uh-huh. It was right, I remember like three or four months after really liking myself. Uh, because when I met her and she told me I love you, I remember feeling, I know, I believe you. I'm lovable. Wow. That was a real transformation in wow. me. Yeah. It was pretty quick. I'm always, I've always been very quick. Yeah. But it was, I was missing the actual experience of the heart. Right. Right. All of the spirituality started to make sense. Everything. Mm. When I realized that life's intelligence comes through the heart and there is a mm. physical, visceral experience of the mm. heart, then I had to re-examine everything. All my neuroses, all my insecurities, mm. all my fears, and al- and started to make decisions from my heart. And that's when I... I mean, that was my work. My, basically, my work was to go to a shamanic ceremony, mm-hmm. see what I'm like uh, during the experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was in my heart space. Mm-hmm. See the imagination that comes through. See what mm-hmm. it is that I'm fantasizing about. See what decisions I want to make. Right. Having those moments of clarity, of insight, of connection. Right. And then work tirelessly. It was hard yeah. to yeah. keep the decisions I made during a spiritual ah. ceremony outside ah. of it. Telling the truth to my boss, yeah. breaking up with my girlfriend, being honest with people. Which are not necessarily easy things to do. No. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to do this while you're in the middle of a ceremony and you're surrounded by people who are supportive and everything else. No. But then, you know, two days later, you go into the light of day and you're in your office and now you're standing in front of your boss. And and I was I was taking courageous action. Yeah. I was. Wow. I was. And that's when I realized I want to, like, I don't just want to work with people. I've always known that. But I said... It's time to start now. Mm. It's time to start now. So I was looking for a need. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always been looking for my niche. You know, right, It's right. just part of the American, even the American yeah. marketing machine. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always looking for a niche. And I very quickly saw that what was important, I, saw, I was involved in different communities who were doing mm-hmm. shamanic ceremonies. Mm-hmm. I was a part of different groups. Mm-hmm. I was uh, really exploring safely in community. Mm-hmm. And what I realized what was necessary, what was missing from my experience and from Carrie's experience as well, was the hand-holding guidance mm-hmm. in between the ceremonies. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, I would start, I started doing these, back then I called them Venice healing so, walks. <laughs> and me and a bunch of, oh, me and my wow. friend, we would go and we would integrate our spiritual ceremonies right. in person right. in between the ceremonies. We would go to these ceremonies, right. but in between, we really helped each other. Right, 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 right. And we... And so I, you really connected with each other and were there outside of the ceremony. Like you may have gotten connected right. during the ceremony, but then outside of the ceremony, you reconnected to in the light of day to say okay now what do we do right what did we learn what did we experience now how are we going to apply it so i just what i was doing is i just kept looking what it looks like to integrate Mm. and what it feels like and what are the necessary steps and what are the necessary actions and the necessary or at least the most useful and supportive Mm. roles from other people because i had I, i had different people different mentors and i would learn 
what it is that I needed to do over time mm. in order for me to go from bitching, complaining and broke and, mm. and always finding myself in the scammers room mm. to quite the opposite of finishing projects, mm. finishing things, having meaningful relationships, finding my wife, proposing uh, to her. Uh. And those were all, my work became about integration. Mm-hmm. That's really, really, really what it was all about. Mm. And, I, of course I wanted to quit my job right. and immediately start something new and work right. with people and do something with this kind of community and this mm-hmm. kind of people. Mm-hmm. But I kept my day job. I decided to learn. I, my mom told me, she's like, make sure you use this place as a spiritual playground. Mm-hmm. In other words, mm-hmm. learn on their dime instead right. of yours. Whatever right. I was going to do, right. make sure to make new decisions, learn all my lessons, mm-hmm. be very appreciative to what I really have, mm-hmm. especially that they were right. the place of my childhood, right. especially right. that they were. And it was only when it was absolutely clear to me that I don't have a choice right now. My work is to be available for people because I started making mm. myself available for people for integrations and coaching them between right, sessions right. right you know I started doing it on the weekend I started uh, working with the existing people that were doing this kind of work I started mm-hmm. offering my services to them mm-hmm. and and uh, I knew it and I knew it and at some point I called my boss and I said I'm leaving because my work is to be full-time available with other people. So here I am at the Kabbalah Center, um, having peace with the spiritual experiences, realizing how community really works at the mm-hmm. Kabbalah Center, mm-hmm. seeing what was missing at the Kabbalah Center, which was really right. integrating spiritual experiences into people's lives, right. and also having experiences in shamanic circles, seeing right. the same thing, right. seeing that what is mainly missing is the integration right. in between the sessions and the ceremonies. Right. So that's when I decided I'm going to move to New York. Oh, it was just, leaving again. Well, uh, yeah. Cause <laughs> but leaving to return home. Exactly. Bearing gifts of what I learned. Right. Uh, I Prodigal actually, son returned. I found, I found Carrie pregnant. And oh. right after we quit, mm-hmm. I had like three months of bills in the bank. Mm-hmm. I figured, you know, it take me about three months to get it going. Yeah. It was in the third month I found out she was pregnant. We came to visit my father in New York. Uh-huh. And we decided to stay. Oh. Yeah. Right here on 72nd Street. We lived right here. Oh, really? In a, in a <laughs> temporary apartment. Wow. And we decided to stay. But when you first came, it was really just a visit. Just a visit. Oh. We decided to stay. Uh-huh. And I said to myself, I'm going to launch an integration uh, service. Like, mm. I'm going to help people integrate their spiritual experiences into reality, right. whether they're at the Kabbalah Center or they are going to shamanic ceremonies right. or doing holotropic breath work, which I did a lot of readings about, oh, or okay. whatever it may be, I saw that there was a need to combine all of my experiences, spirituality, getting things going, mm-hmm. 
business right. and then help people integrate but 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 what i've seen happen is through uh, creating the support system to to help people with integrate to integrate all these experiences that you've really created a community around you um because we need community to integrate with right we don't integrate on our own we we integrate with people because you know, it, it's kind of tough to just kind of sit there and talk to yourself like, now what do I do exactly. with this? You need somebody else that you trust. It, 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 it's a cycle that feeds itself. Yeah. Because I used to talk about community, but really I was helping, I'm still I'm helping people integrate. But what happens right. when people, in, see, integration with that community doesn't really work. It's right. The integration, the definition of integration is literally integrating into the human community. community. Right. So, Integrating the epiphanies and the aha moments and all of the places that you go through during these peak spiritual experiences, right. it's a must right now for the world to integrate, like integrating right. the dream, integrating right. the vision. Right. And I came in and I literally just went to meetup.com mm-hmm. and I have been hosting a weekly integration group now for mm-hmm. over three years. Yeah. And that's been the core, uh, that's been the backbone of my offering of my services. Mm-hmm. All I've been doing really is just showing up in a room, not knowing exactly what was going to happen next, but the intention was always been very clear, integrating your spiritual experiences. Whatever else you may do, you can do, you can always come here and integrate. So doing integration, you know, doing these integration circles and then offering integration coaching has been basically my work for the past three years. And this is being my 49th podcast. You know, it's really interesting to see how 10 years later, I'm very clear about what it is that I'm doing, but I've had to live it. I've had to be it. And the clarity has been coming through my work, through the experiences. Because next year, we are going to do more integrate. Like I'm launching these integration ceremonies Mm-hmm. Uh, for to help people literally integrate their spiritual experiences into life right. in a ceremonial way, right. we are having public integration groups and, and, and circles in New York City. Right. You've started leadership training. You're training people to become uh, yeah integration partners, integration, integration coaches, coaches and leaders. Yeah, and again, did I know that's what I was going to do when I moved to New York? Yeah. I didn't know exactly. Did I know that right. that's what I was going to get into? When I moved to California, you know, ultimately, yes. All of this, yes. I knew since I'm a kid Mm -hmm. that at some point I'm going to help people live magic. Mm. I always knew. I always prayed. I always knew that between my prayers and imagination, life is Mm -hmm. a self-fulfilling feedback loop. Mm -hmm. So question, when you moved back to New York, did you reconnect with those people who you had done business and created friendships with? That, uh, that that you had left when you moved to California. I, I left. I I left with my the tail between my leg kind right. of thing. Uh-huh. So, and I didn't really have that many friends anyway. I was okay. a lone wolf, mm-hmm. you know, literally. Mm-hmm. So, I did most, you know, a handful of people. Only right. one one person uh-huh. uh, we are in touch with, and actually. It's that same business partner who mm-hmm. got you know got me into trouble and out of trouble, <laughs> and that cosmic really brotherhood that he's yeah. served. And now I'm happy to be working with him on this integration, uh, well, scaling the integration mm-hmm. services because mm-hmm. it's really important right now. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people doing spiritual work, and 
I have all the respect for it, and I know how important mm-hmm. is it to mm-hmm. become friends again with plant medicine mm-hmm. and to have ritualized mm-hmm. self-exploration and community. However, I know from firsthand experience mm-hmm. that without integrating, the, it, it, it leads to escape. Yeah. I see right, right, exactly. My, my childhood is a non-integrated home. Right. My childhood, my parents were doing spiritual journeying mm-hmm. and then there was no guidance, there was no integration, mm-hmm. so they got into trouble. I didn't realize that I would have to go through all of my own experiences mm-hmm. with business, with spirituality, with mm-hmm. shamanism, mm-hmm. just to see that what's really important in the role right now, our role is the integration, you know, welcome to the integration mm-hmm. age, that's how I feel. Yeah. It's 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 making sure that people do not depend and rely on the experiences because it happens a lot. So uh, I'll ask one at a time with your mom because she does have that history of being a heroin addict. How did she feel about you working in sort of this kind of an industry? Was she against it? Was she okay with it? Well, she knew that I'm on the other end. I'm helping okay. people integrate, right. uh, and that's the most important part. Right. The, the, the bulk of my work, the majority of my work, the reason why I do what I do is to help people integrate spirituality into mm-hmm. reality. Right. So how did she feel about it? I don't know. I can ask her now. Hmm. I, I have a feeling that she's been watching me from the sideline, hmm. wondering what it is that I would be doing. Hmm. And as the world is getting more and more comfortable with... Uh, plant medicine and shamanic journey, of course, I feel the burning desire and the calling to help to help help and train integration mm-hmm. coaches and help and and facilitate integration ceremonies. Again, it's mm-hmm. not we do not use substance in these integration ceremonies and sessions. Quite mm-hmm. the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's it's integrating what it is that people do experience on their own with their mm-hmm. shaman, mm-hmm. with their facilitator, mm-hmm. coming over. We're here working with anyone that mm-hmm. does spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. So how does she feel about it? Hopefully hopefully mm-hmm. she's very proud, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. And then what about your dad? I mean, you left to really find who you were instead of living into his image of what he wanted you to be. What's been his reaction since you've come back to New York? To- you know, I'm writing, I'm writing this book. I'm writing this book, and you know, I always have a different working titles. But right now, the working <laughs> title is "Integrating the Dream." Ah, uh, okay. Because I'm writing the uh, you know official or unofficial, whatever you want to call it, manual or no step guide into integrating spiritual experiences into reality. Because it is a process, and it does mm-hmm. take a few seasons, and if not yeah. a few years, if not a few yeah. decades. Yeah. So why do I mention this book is because I feel like my father is experiencing the same thing where he's integrating the dream. When he got involved with the Kabbalah Center back in the late 70s, mm-hmm. it was about community, it was about spirituality, it was about using mysticism. Right. Yeah, they had you know, they had groups and people come around and yeah, yeah. they bought land to build community on. Uh, so for him to see all of this unfolding with his own son, yeah. and now I have a son. Yeah. So for him to see all this unfolding, I, I think he... I bet he's humbled and happy mm. and proud, not just of hopefully me, mm. but himself mm. and keeping the dream alive yeah. and giving me space to do whatever it is that we're doing. Because yeah. the truth is, the work begins now. Integration right. literally leads into harmony. Right. And harmony leads to world peace. Right. And if there's one thing that the world needs right now is just to integrate our powers. We are more and more aware of our divine powers. Mm-hmm. 
but that includes our ability to destroy ourselves. Right, right. And only once we face... It includes the dark side, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Once we face and we become friends with the dark side, we become mm-hmm. friends. We don't have to live in it and mm-hmm. swim in it, mm-hmm. but know that we are capable of killing ourselves mm-hmm. and thriving. Mm-hmm. We ought to become friends with self-exploration. We're just doing mm-hmm. it in community. And it's a must to integrate right. it's a must if you're not integrating you're escaping yeah. and you're going to hear a lot more about it yeah and and the world is ripe for it now the world is it? ripe for it the world is really really ripe for it and because there's so many people that have had so many different experiences i mean the, more than ever before there's so many different spiritual traditions and people doing yoga and and doing kundalini yoga and and there's this guru and that spiritual tradition and this shaman and that shaman and and there's so much that's coming to the forefront now that really it's okay it's there now what's the next step and and, and this is why integration coaching and integration services and circles and it's all about and really for me I go around the wheel which I learned and it's about four things it's about heart courage presence and imagination that's what integration that's that's what our integration service is all about it's getting you to work on those four areas because heart is heart that's where it all starts courage it takes courage don't fool yourself integration literally yeah. means courage to express yeah. yourself uh, presence is the ability to stay present, to get yeah. into the body, to quiet the mind, and of course imagination, because heart yeah. and presence always leads to imagination, mm-hmm. and then you have you need to have the courage. So right. integration really is about heart, courage, presence, and imagination, and that's what all of my work, our work as a community, is all about, truly. Right. And I can definitely say, as a 35-year-old, mm-hmm. watching over my life, I can clearly see and remember now that I cannot escape. You cannot escape your destiny. Mm-hmm. There is something that we're here and we're meant to do. And it doesn't mean I'm going to yeah. be in, an integration coach forever. Right, it's just right. where I'm at right now and that's where the world right, is. This right. is who I am. But you cannot escape your destiny. Yeah. You pay attention. You pay attention to the signs. You pay attention to what's knocking on your door. Right. You pay attention to what changes are trying to kick down your door. Yeah. And instead of fighting it, you allow it. Right. And uh, that's that. I'm, I'm 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 honored and happy to have shared this introduction and background to me, and I look forward to seeing you guys in integration circles at the podcast. And just in case you know we don't run each other into each other this lifetime, I'm sure we will next. <laughs>